Well, ladies and gentlemen, officially now, welcome to tonight's BAFTA Scotland and BBC Scotland screening. This is the interactive element of tonight's event, and it's uh, my great pleasure to introduce to you, uh, to my left here, Dr. And that's very important, Dan Sefton, who is the writer of what you've just watched. Give him a round of applause. <laughs> Actress Sharon Small, who plays Bridget Rain, Dr. Bridget Rain, who was described just at the end there as a monster. We'll be coming back to that, Sharon. <laughs> and also Gaynor Holmes, drama commissioning executive from BBC Scotland. A round of applause for everyone, please. Thank you. I think the first question that, that probably everyone is wanting to know the answer to here, Dan, uh, given you have uh, a medical background as well as a writing background, uh, if you mm. could kick tonight's uh, Q&A off by telling us where the idea for this one came from, or the inspiration. Um, well, I've um, always been interested in the imposter's story for quite a long time in various you know, walks of life, and somebody I know wrote a very good non-fiction book about it, which I read, and I thought it was very interesting to, to sort of character you know what is what happens to you when you become an imposter you know how, what happens when somebody who normally tells the truth tells one big lie and how does their life unravel from that point on and then um, funnily I, I was talking about this to somebody I was working with in A&E in, uh, in the southwest where I do work and she went oh yes because we had one of those in our hospital like a couple of years ago and I was like what and they told me oh yes he worked in out of hours GP and he was this and it took ages to find out he was from Ukraine or something like that and, and so I, I was kind of flabbergasted. I, I, this was hadn't heard about this. So I found out about this and realised it did happen more often than people think. And then you know the wheels started turning. I thought, well, this must this is an interesting premise because because it, I think it's very um, you know divisive and strange. I mean, what you, what, do, what do you think about somebody who's doing this? It's obviously on the first glance a terrible thing to do and a deception and and dangerous. But then what if they're quite good at it? How do you feel then? Tell me then from that point, Dan. Uh, to what to what extent did you did you drill into the research for this? Because I suppose you have to base it on you've just told us about there's an element mm. of kind of reality to it. But mm. how did you go about researching that? Um, well, the, the, the main the, well, this was louder. Um, <laughs> um, the main you know once we've gone with the premise, I think mean, once you go with the idea that it could happen, and I think that there's actually surprisingly few checks. I mean, I, there's no photo ID of me, you know, you know with the GMC. Um, when you look at the real cases, they're usually people stealing identities wholesale and just walking into jobs and, and doing it and nobody asked any questions. And there was a study from the University of Bath that I looked at which said that, um, interestingly, because of the culture of medicine, because people, because it's always been an apprenticeship, apprenticeship system, especially people from a different part of the country, people assume that they're just... You know, I'm not used to a lot of different way of working. A lot of people are from uh, foreign doctors, and they get away with it because because people just train them up, and so it's it's not as unusual as you might think. I mean, that's quite a terrifying thought, actually. Not not to kind of get into undermining the NHS in any way at all here, but that is a that's quite a scary thought to know that that is going on there. Well, I think so. I mean, what what really got me interested in was this idea that. You look at the number of people who are imposters who get caught, and it's, it's relatively small. But then you think, well, how many people don't get caught? How many people are doing it and just get away with it? Because most, cause the, the truth is that most people who are professional imposters uh, are very good at their job and are very convincing, and patients love them, or the pa people they work with really like them. And that is a truism which people, it's the, the bad doctors who are very good but not very nice to people, probably me, um, you get more complaints. You know, but the, the good the people who are nice but actually very bad doctors who cause problems never get complaints, and that's a medical truism that people will acknowledge. So that was what got me started with it, really. There's there's lots of cases where there are people who've got away with it for years, aren't there? 
Well, my, my, my favourite one, one of the most famous ones, is actually from the 18th century, um, who was a Dr. James Barry, who was actually a woman and was a doctor in the, for the British Army for, for, and, and had a whole career of being pretending to be a man and pretending to um, train as a doctor. And it was only when she died or he died that they did an autopsy and they realised oh, that she was actually a woman. So, um, and, and she was, or he, stroke she was. Uh, seen as very, very kind of Mar or Martinet and quite unpopular, and her argument with Florence Nightingale. So, you know, th this kind of thing happens. With another chap who is a catch me if you can, which is a Leonardo DiCaprio film yeah. based on, he did a famously did an appendectomy um, in on a ship because he was a naval surgeon and he did really well and he, he the patient lived. Yeah. So generally, people did okay. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, and also, you know, the media certainly, and we've already, the, the media are here, you know, they're already <laughs> present in episode one. They love a Walter Mitty character. I mean, those stories uh, are are very popular in newspapers. So mm. um, I'm I'm guessing that we might see a little bit of that exposed at some point. But I'm not mm. asking you to give that away. I'm just suggesting. Well, that I mean, on, you know, on that, I think what what I thought was in could be pretty interesting. But hopefully, is that you know, what if she's actually very good? Yeah. And nothing really goes wrong. You know, up to a certain point. I mean, I think that's the tension of it. Yeah. Rather than having somebody who's obviously incompetent and. You know, looking at court. Actually, what's more interesting for me is actually they're very good, which she is. One question I think is uh, that, that I find uh, very interesting. One thing I felt this is the second time I watched that I still couldn't look at the uh, the, um, the the blood. I just had to look away the second time, or it wasn't any easier. Um, but um, uh, you set up a, a quite an interesting kind of moral conundrum. We we immediately we want Jodie Whittaker's character. To succeed, you know, we we we're kind of we're rooting for her right from the get go, but we realise she's doing something so absolutely awful uh, by pretending that she has something that she's not and, and jeopardising the lives of people. Um, you know, to, how do you approach that? How do you approach getting that to get that that kind of you know that balance that level right? Um, well, I think it's something which people at audience have been accepting for years, but I think to be fair to British TV, we've been a bit behind the curve on that. I mean, if you look at I'm not making a comparison because it shows that I've admired like the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and um, Dexter, all those cable type shows. I mean, the, the protagonist who is clearly morally dubious, all the way back to Patricia Highsmith and the Ripley character, is, is very interesting to people, especially a more intelligent audience. And one of the questions you get asked, you know, is like, will we like them? And it's like, I don't care. I mean, will the point is giving some giving her POV means you're, you're forced to identify with her. And that is morally difficult for the audience because the actual technique of filming pushes, puts you in their shoes, yep. forces you to be on, on her side, and then they do something terrible. And you go, oh, Christ. And that, I think, is interesting. And that's something that you know, modern TV and film audiences are much more happy to accept now, I think, and what, what, we, should be, what we should be doing. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a more interesting situation rather than having a, a, a hero. We've gone a long way, long way from Dr. Kildare, and I think we should yeah. be. Yeah. Sharon, tell me about, about uh, your reaction when you when you first saw the uh, when you first saw the script. What drew you to to this part? Um, firstly, that I'm a doctor. <laughs> no, I'm not really. <laughs> I should be an imposter again. Um, it was well, exactly that. I love the aspect of somebody um, wanting to whistleblow, tell the truth, and then getting gagged, and um, and then for her to reinvent herself and. For to be in a position of being so desperate for doctors now, um, my character was so desperate to employ someone that um, someone with a half-decent CV and looked like she was the same human being, I thought, you know, I, I really liked that. And I loved my character 
who then develops further on and becomes a monster, according to one of the juniors. <laughs> is that is that fair to say? Was that was that I a think little that's bit really of really unfair to say? But no one ever thinks they're a monster, okay. really, do they? No, but she's um. She doesn't like fuzz. That's for sure. <laughs> Did you think that? No, she really does like. Well, does fizz. she like fizz? Yeah, I thought, so, I thought it was. Uh, I was like, oh, I like people bringing fizz, but it's from little. Okay. So maybe she was being a wee bit snobby. What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I just thought that all the characters were really well drawn, and I was really interested in. And plus, no one's ever asked me to be a doctor before, so I quite like the idea of being a doctor. Everyone, you know, since been a big massive ER fan. I like the idea okay. of being one. Right, you're looking for a... Does Eamon Elliot count as a George Clooney? Isn't he just the most handsome doctor? Come on, <laughs> he's great. Um, I'm, I'm guessing then there was also potentially a bit of a draw given that you got to come back up the road to, to film this. Oh, it's such a drag coming to Glasgow, yeah. No, I love coming back here. And, um, yeah, it's such good fun. And you get so many stories from taxi drivers. You can't get in a taxi in Glasgow without knowing all of their life stories. And I've even had one person drop me off at the airport and went, I just love you. <laughs> he just gave me a really big hug because we'd shared our life stories and it was really nice. It's always good to come back home. I know, they're uh, so nosy as well. Yeah, you'll probably get that tonight. Um, tell me what kind of research you had to do in order to, to, to get... Have you played a doctor before? Have you done no, it? No, never. Okay, so this was a, a, a kind of fresh territory for you there. Did, did you have to research or do you, do you just take the script as it is? Um, no, I definitely, we, um, we had the luxury set up for us that we went to an Edinburgh hospital and we went round and we shadowed an ED doctor there and, um, and he, we could ask him anything so he was giving us all the inside info. Obviously we had our own ED doctor here too who had major stories and um, yeah, so we got to go around and just really watch them all in action and it's a kind of weird thing where nobody kind of really looks like they're doing anything but they're all incredibly busy, they're all doing stuff but they're, it's kind of an odd atmosphere in an easy ward and then suddenly it just all takes off for a bit and, uh, and then we had a day with Dan where he taught us loads of procedures so, really? Um, yeah. Procedures? Well, things, you know, like... Um, what did you learn? Things you need to know, sort of basic stitching, you know, right. sutures. Um, and uh, how to put a line in. Uh-huh. So Julie actually actively did it to Dan and made him bleed out everywhere <laughs> for a bit, but that was great. She did it. She was awesome at it. As soon as she was given a procedure, once she'd learned it, she was really good yeah. at it. You're all right, well done. You yeah. bled out. Yeah, no, I, I, I live, but um, I think Jodie would be a good imposter doctor. She was for real now. <laughs> yeah, she's really good. And how Sharon? Would she, she cut a muscle up there? I think I, I, I was, I think they all would. I mean, I was, it was really interesting watching how doing all the little training moves, like the moving patients across, the whole team, all the nurses as, as well, um, all got better and better at it. So by the, the second or third week of the shoot, everybody was doing it very naturally and that is actually ironically exactly what happens if you're pretending to be somebody in, in a workplace I mean in the, in the episode you've seen you know we, there's a passage of time where she just gets used to doing stuff and suddenly you fit right in and you do the same thing over and over again and it's completely natural and then suddenly something comes up which which you know upsets you but 99% of the time it's the same thing you know and you could get away with it. So Shannon now the next time you're walking down you know Oxford Street or Sucky Hall Street or wherever you happen to be in you know Something God forbid happens. You can push your way to the front there. You know, you know how to do stitches. Yes, you can trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a doctor. I tell you what, I did get from it though, apart from huge admiration for what Dan does, is just that kind of feeling of power that you must have. 
to be able to fix someone there and then. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To actually know and try and diagnose quickly or to get their, their airways open and to be able to sort of pull them together to get them off to the OR. And I thought that was a powerful feeling. Yeah. I thought, God, imagine having that ability. So, yay. <laughs> Gina, yay from, from, the, um, from the commissioning perspective then, yeah. this, this is something that, you know, this is, this is across your desk, this one. Uh, what made it stand out? Um, it was an incredibly well plotted psychological thriller with stars. It had all the sort of thrills and spills and, and tension that, that you'd look for. It's, it's, it's an incredibly good example of its type. But also, I mean, I'm sure a lot, of, a lot of other people in this room, I've um, grown up watching medical dramas. I love medical dramas. I think it's something that we can all really relate to. I don't think there's a single person alive that hasn't, obviously not, hasn't come in in touch with, with the medical world in some way from a very personal point of view, but um, the, the idea of doing it so authentically, written by Dan, who is a doctor, and, and telling it exactly like it is, as opposed to the telly version of it, is incredibly appealing. Um, and just from talking to Dan, what, what's really interesting is the things that um, I imagined would be the scary bits for a doctor aren't necessarily the bits that you find scary that actually is it getting getting an airway in is what the bits that you think actually now as a doctor I'm scared. Tell us Dan. Well that's true I'm sort of trying to pick things which um, would worry me and, uh, and people have told me about and everything in here is kind of true um, but the, as you say the things that you see a lot like the sort of the CPR and the clear aren't going to stuff and we've got a little bit of that but it's not very, it's quite routine, you know. It's quite sim simple, and um, the, the difficult things are, are, are things that perhaps people wouldn't expect, and situations people wouldn't expect. So, you know, making it as realistic as possible is very important to me. I've worked on a lot of medical dramas, I do a lot of medical dramas, and this was the one which I was quite sure the point of this was to make it as real. And if you want to know what it's like to do the job, that's what it's like. I'll stand by that. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. That's what it sounds like. That's how people are. Um, and, and that was important to me. I suppose one of the questions I'd, uh, I, I, I'd, I'd like to know, and this isn't, I'm not being cynical here, right? I'm wondering, has the, um, has the representation of Scotland, Glasgow and Edinburgh, the, the, the future, I mean, we, the character has come to a hospital in Edinburgh. I take it you wrote it for that once the BBC Scotland Commission was in place, so would it, would it, have, would it have mattered either way? So it was Edinburgh. Um, it was it was really always that. I mean, I've I was as saying earlier, I was like brought up in Carluke and I've. You know, oh really? Yeah, I, I lived here. So I was about ten, and I've been coming back a long time. So so Edinburgh is a city I've met quite well, as as it's Glasgow, to be honest. And um, it was about finding somewhere different to go. And actually, it was quite. I thought it worked very well that the character comes from Sheffield and then comes to Edinburgh. And when you see those sequences, it's, it's a different country, obviously. Yeah. yeah controversial but it's um, you know for somebody coming from a council state on Sheffield or a single state on Sheffield it's, it, to, to, to Edinburgh particularly I thought the class difference was something that Matthew Reid who is one another BBC commissioner who's involved in development was quite keen to push I thought it was a great idea because you know the scene with Bridget in the kitchen supper I mean all those kind of class differences are not, are not accidental it's yep. about part of being an imposter about how the character of Kath moves to a middle class life and how she, uncomfortable she is when, when her middle class doctor friend says fuck the NHS which was something I, I really had to, well, I'd have to fight for actually but it, there was discussion about it you were very sportsman but there was discussion and I was very keen that that was the 
that kind of attitude was front and centre. So, so, so when the cast character with Jodie gets into the Doctor's world, it's not what she expects. She's, she's actually, once she's intimate with the Doctor, she realises this is something else as well. Yeah. That is actually quite a shocking moment, um, and and it is having seen it now twice. It's you know it's still it still hits you in the chest when when you see someone who you I think we all assume that the people who are working for the NHS are you know they're doing their best. They love the institution. They they, they want they want to to make it the best thing it can possibly be. And to see a, a you know a character like that one to stand up there and say that it's like a, bit of a shock. Does that come from experience? Is that like a, a particular knowledge that you have, or was that just something you applied to that character? That is shocking. For somebody to say that, but you know, doctors have varying views about the NHS. They don't see it as a religion, and, and, and you know, it's. I think people find it hard sometimes to um, square what they're seeing with the with the the way it's held, you know, because it, it's that helping. Yeah, I mean, it's a very big debate. Yeah, but, but the politics in this are kind of hopefully relatively soft. It's not polemical. It's just saying, look, this. Everybody's struggling, particularly Amy. It's not a very popular job. It's a dirty job, and not many people want to do it at the moment. Yeah, of course. And the nurse, you know, Kath's character is, is a, or, or Jodie's character, Kath, is, you know, the whole point that she's ended up in this conundrum in the first place is because she's she's struggling. You know, she's ended up in this situation. Yeah, precisely. And also that I, I thought it was interesting that her friend chucks away a job which yeah. she dreams about, yeah. and how people don't don't see that. You know, she she genuinely wants. Wants this job and she generally loves doing it. Gainer, again, from 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 your perspective, when it comes to commissioning a drama like this and 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 having it uh, set in Scotland and in Edinburgh, identifiably with Scottish voices and and you know identifiable cities, you know landmarks that we all know, um, to what to what extent is that important when you're putting something like this together? Because you, I suppose you could make it kind of you know anywheresville really, couldn't you? Mm-hmm. Um. I think some some dramas are about purely about a, a, a genre thrill within the story. Other dramas um, rely on a much stronger sense of place. And I think um, there's a lot in Trust Me that's about identity. It's about the identity of 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 Kath, the nurse becoming Ali, the doctor. It's about the identity of Kath from Sheffield, the working class, and um, nurse from Sheffield becoming Ali, the the, the middle class. Doctor in Edinburgh, and so sense of place within that context, I think, is really important in the piece. So, I think it would have felt, um, and also because, I mean, the the, the big word that I think of with trust me is authenticity. Um, it, it 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 needed to be really truthful. We wanted to be very truthful about um, the NHS, about um, about how professional. Um, medical people operate and talk to one another and deal with um, patients. You know, all of that needed to be very truthful. So I think that not having authenticity in terms of its sense of place would have felt like we're just falling a bit short somewhere. And every layer of it, every element of it, um, I think needed to feel truthful and authentic. And you know, I'll say it. You probably can't, but it's great to see um, a lot of a lot of Scottish actors in a big network drama. That's that's. Um, set and, and shot in Scotland. Sharon, can I ask you to tell me a little bit, he's not here to say it for himself, could you tell us a little bit about Eamon's character? Um, Eamon's character is obviously um, playing his actual native Edinburgh as well and um, he's like the hotshot doctor, um, he's my equal but I have taken 
the, the role of the clinical lead because I um, I'm quite happy going off and doing the office admin stuff as well and all that sort of thing and, and sort of doing the meetings whereas he's much more hands-on and um, really incredibly able and uh, he's a really good partner we're good friends um, and then obviously well you know what's going on in his personal life and um, and uh, yeah and the introduction of this new doctor and we would never question her I don't think all her documents are in place and um, you know it's it's a nice opening to have and I imagine you don't get that many that much turnover of doctors in a place do you so you can get very close to them it's funny because you do have sometimes increasing have a huge turnover where people come different every week and I'm certainly aware of the moment we have Start sure what you said is a different person obviously a week pitching up and most of them are very good um, and there are people you've known for years so it, so it does vary um, in that sense and I think um, Eamon's character is you know very much somebody I recognise in a very practical guy um, not simplistic but as a simple straightforward worldview but when he's faced with this complicated person coming into his life it really challenges him and I think that's, that's part of the story which will unfold, but um, I think he's a, it's an interesting character mm-hmm. and he is obviously very good looking, which um, he sort of said, I sort of said he's like me, but good looking. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say something about, um, about, about casting and crewing generals? That um, Red Productions, obviously from Manchester, um, embrace, really, I, I don't remember there being lots of big discussions over casting. Casting seemed to come together really easily I think we all I think the characters are very clear and um, complex but clear and and um, so there was never any discussion about whether or not Scottish actors would play the Scottish parts and English actors would play the English parts it was sort of something very organic and natural and that never formed part of the discussion it just kind of evolved very naturally I think again that comes with the kind of authenticity territory that was really important to Nicola and Emily from Red and, and to Dan Tyler, that, that that all felt right and as it should do. And also that, um, why to me, Ali doesn't stick out and feel in a sort of, you're not from around here, way in that work setting is that, you know, being as a Scot living and working in Scotland, I'm, I'm not surrounded by wall-to-wall Scottish accent. Yeah. I think we have, you know, cities like Edinburgh and Glasgow are, are cosmopolitan and, and, and sort of diverse and, 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 and very modern feeling. And, and I think that it was really important to us that the workplace felt like that. Yeah, okay. Um, Dan, one of the questions that, I, that occurred to me whilst uh, sitting in the audience, actually, and looking around and thinking... I wonder how many other people in here, given we have an industry audience here, some people might be interested in writing, and who knows, some of them might be trapped in a profession where they're saving people's lives. How, <laughs> how, how, how did you make the crossover from that to this? And I, I, you, I mean, I believe you still straddle both. Um, yeah, I did, a, I did a night school course. Um, I, to be fair, no, I, I give credit to... I, did a, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do on editing the story. I went on a careers course from my little Sonia Hunt Taylor from Medical Forum, who was amazing. And she said, Oh, I have to do some writing on a book. And she like a workbook, which I thought was mental, but I went with it because I paid. And when she got it back, she said, Oh, you obviously like writing and you like music, so you should be a pop video director. I thought you were insane. But then it was a good insight. I thought, Well, maybe I should do so. I went on this course and I did. Um, 
you know, film screenwriting course. It cost me 80 quid um, and uh, for six weeks, and it was a long time ago. And then I, I, opened, I got a lucky break because someone who worked for the BBC, which is what so often happens. And, um, but they were doing Doctors, which at that time was a show which they were looking for new writers for. So I just said, oh, I could do this. And they said, oh, right, storyline. I can send it in. She said, Jenny said. And I did, and they liked it. And they said, you know what, you can do a script. And I went, okay, I will do that. What do I do? And you know, it was that, I was very lucky to get in on that show at that time. But then there was sort of, you know, 15 years of very hard work. So to get to where I am now. But, um, and, I, and I stopped being a doctor for about five or six years and then missed it and was able, was able to come back part-time and thought at the time that people wouldn't take me seriously as a writer if I, if I was doing something else, but actually realised it was the opposite way around, which I had far more to give to the industry as somebody with um, a, a background and something to sell, you know, something to a person, a, a, so, so your 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 real life experience, I feel like your day job, helped inform the writing and made it more authentic. Then it made you more appealing. Do you think in the eyes of the commissioners? Well, it's part of that. I mean, obviously, something like this, you know, part of the reason it gets off the ground is that I've got the authenticity. Um, part of it was personal, which was I, I'd, you know, I'd been working writing without working for about five years, and suddenly felt I need more input. You know, you fall into the trap of just writing about you know, not real stuff, because I wasn't meeting real people. I mean, the privilege I have with working in it is that, um, as a doctor, I meet real people, if you like, all the time, and they tell me very intimate stories about their lives in a completely unforced way. And I also, I realize, feel very um, unworried about asking them, because I've become a different person mm. when I'm doing that job, and I'm much more confident I'll chat to people and have a chat, whereas in real life, I'm not like that. Okay, so which one do you prefer? Which job do you prefer? Oh, well, I think that's just great about it because when I, you know, after I've, you know, listened to lots of screen notes and stuff for two days, I might go back to any and I forget about it. I'll be like, well, this is more important. Nobody's died. You know, we've got people got some notes or the ratings haven't been very good, but, you know, nobody's dead. Yeah. And then when I get out of there, you know, I'm like, fuck it, I'll do that for another week or whatever because it's awful and I couldn't do it full time. And I couldn't. And, I, and the people who do do it full time have a huge amount of respect for it. It's very, very difficult and very hard emotionally. So I have the best of both worlds, and it's, uh, I'm very lucky. Yeah. Uh, okay, folks, thanks uh, very much. I think we now have uh, a little bit of time for some questions from the floor. Anyone? Somebody Someone? Else. Okay, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought the premise was fantastic. I thought your leap was amazing as well. Um, one of the things I most enjoyed about it was the authenticity, and I think that came over in the way that there was no sycophancy about the NHS, there was nothing sycophantic, it didn't hold it up or anything, and I thought that was, that, that challenge really was, was amazing. What sort of appetite was there all the way down the line for, for that type of statement, if you like, for the, for, the, for the challenging of the NHS, for the kind of setting a negative light? Um, I think... If you're comfortable answering that, well, I can say that um, I, I, it was... I think once it got rolling, I think there was nothing but support, really. Um, the idea's been knocking about for quite a long time, and a lot of people didn't want to go with it for various reasons, I and mean, maybe that was part of it, because often they don't tell you the real reason, but I think once Nicola got involved at, at Red, uh, I said Matthew Reed, Gainer, um, and it started to gain some momentum, then there was never any sense of turning it down, don't say this, don't say the other. And, and it wasn't... As I said, I think part of the trick is not being overtly political. It's not going to act right. I don't have a, I don't have a personal view, 
um, I, I find it interesting because my, I'm, I'm split. You know, I don't know what I really think. And so hopefully that comes out slightly on the screen as the pros and cons, but I should pass it over. Um, with everything, when we make a programme like that, there's lots and lots of discussion about what you can and can't say. We don't, we never put anything on the screen uh, lightly. We think about it loads, and so for lines like the, you know, the NHS line, or even even things like um, have it. It was really important that the doctors, you know, in, in in the heat of the moment when they've got like 15 seconds to save someone. Um, that they would talk to one another in the way that real doctors would, and using the language that real doctors would in that, that shorthand way when people, when pre professional people talk to one another, they don't use big long terminology to explain to one another what's going on in front of them. And, and you know, we had lots of discussion about whether or not that was inclusive enough of the audience, but it was really important that we, that we did it right and felt that when you watch scenes like that, you would absolutely understand the emotional content, the dramatic content of the scene, just because of the context, just because of the flow of the drama, and that actually what the characters were saying to one another, even if the audience didn't understand every single word of that technical language, it would just add to the, the chaos and confusion and, and tension of the moment. So um, we had a lot of discussion about that. We had a lot of discussion about what we felt we could and couldn't see. Um, uh, in terms of procedure, and while we didn't want to do things just purely to shock, just uh, you know, just to be controversial or shocking, we didn't want to shy away from showing it as it was either. So I think um, all of that together, once we were very clear that it was the piece that we wanted to make and and why, and wanted to get behind sort of Dan and Nicola and Emily and, and see their vision through, it was actually quite straightforward. It was all about what can we show that we think the audience will go with us on and really, you know, believe us. Did, did, did you have any issues between the fact that this is, you know, this, this is an NHS Scotland hospital, but yet this is a programme that's gone out across the network? Was there anything you had to, any gaps you had to bridge there at all? Um, I don't think we ever really thought about that. I think it's a bit like um, we often get into conversations about legal dramas and whether or not. Uh, People will understand a Scottish legal show because it's got a slightly different legal system. Actually, I grew up watching things like Emily Law and Emily McBeal and totally got them, um, or, or all the terminology and things like ER. Because I kind of think that um, uh, you know, the criminal justice system, you know, justice and, and, and truth and retribution, or, or certain medical scenarios are universal and it doesn't really matter in which country or, or culture you are, I think that there's a certain amount of universality to things like medicine. Please put your hands together and thank oh, our well. panellists, Gaynor Bohm, Sharon Small and Dan Sergeant.